Welcome to World Policy on Air, a weekly podcast from the pages and website of World Policy Journal, published by the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. I'm David Alpern. In this week's program, posting January 1st, 2016, we talk with a British member of the European Parliament, Geoffrey Van Orden, MBE, about Britain's divisive debate over staying in the troubled European Union. His post about it on the World Policy blog is headlined, What's Gone Wrong with the EU? You're listening to World Policy on Air. Now this. And why I believe that the changes that Britain is seeking will benefit not just Britain, but the European Union as a whole. This is perhaps the most important decision that the British people will have to take at the ballot box in our lifetimes. A November TV address by Britain's Conservative Prime Minister David Cameron kicked into yet higher gear the nation's divisive debate on whether to stay in the European Union if significant reforms are achieved or simply quit. Brexit, as headlines have it. As the year raced to an end, there was bad news from the continent, including a report that every EU nation was against the PM's key plan to delay British welfare benefits for EU migrants, and word that serious negotiations on any acceptable compromise could well be delayed as long as February. Cameron said that he sensed understanding and the potential for progress, but also that he could still switch sides in the British referendum required by the end of 2017, leading the campaign for Brexit, whose support was already almost even with that against it. To consider the situation both for the UK and the EU, we're joined today by Cameron's Conservative Party colleague, Geoffrey Van Orden, MBE, a former British Army intelligence officer, now representing the East of England in the European Parliament. His recent post on the World Policy blog is headlined, What's Gone Wrong with the EU? Geoffrey Van Orden, welcome to World Policy on Air. Good morning. It's very good to talk to you. Remind us of the very different circumstances the EU was envisioned for 60 years ago. Well, 60 years ago, of course, um, Europe was just uh, recovering from the Second World War. Um, Britain at that time, of course, uh, was still a strong uh, power in the world. Um, Her economy was doing better in the late 40s and early 50s than the other European economies. Um, But there was, of course, a desire to ensure that the countries of Europe never again came uh, to to war with one another, in particular Germany and France. And so there was a very strong movement afoot uh, to find a way of overcoming those sort of historic divisions. And that was part of the justification for the creation of what was first a European coal and steel community and then the European economic community. But, of course, Britain's circumstances then were very different to what they are today, um, which is why uh, people now are very much looking afresh at our relationship with the European Union. Well, what are Britain's biggest complaints about the EU today? Well, um, we look at a Europe which has um, been affected by, for years now by this crisis in the Eurozone where the European economy is not competitive, um, where there's now a major refugee problem, part of that caused by uh, structural problems within the European Union itself um, because of the borderless uh, Europe. 
um, all of these things. And I think a lot of British people feel that we've seen too much of our national sovereignty eroded. We see too much interference by Brussels uh, in the day-to-day lives of the British people. Uh, And basically, we want a government that's answerable to the British people. We don't want to be ruled from Brussels. But it's not only Britain. You note unhappiness with the Union all across Europe, notably reflected in EU election turnouts and the rise of Eurosceptic votes in member nation voting. Well, that's absolutely true. Um, In recent European elections, we've seen the rise of Europhobic and Eurosceptic parties in many countries in Europe. I mean, even in Germany, there is now um, uh, Alternative for Deutschland, uh, a new party um, which got significant votes in um, the federal and particularly the Lant uh, elections. But these are the sorts of uh, forces which are being stirred up today, not surprisingly, given all the great mistakes that have been made by the European Union and all the problems which persist. And speaking of the United States, you see a misguided or at least out-of-date support for the EU in the U.S., Well, of course, if if you go back to the beginning, the United States was very keen on the integration of Europe, which it saw as the answer, really, to um, the recovery of Europe uh, and creating a strong Europe that would be a bastion against communism. And so right from the start, the United States was very keen on European integration. Of course, now we go on all these decades, and today the United States still wants the Europeans to contribute more. I mean, there is a concern about burden sharing, which has persisted. Um, They want the Europeans to be strong partners, not just economic partners, but, of course, security partners as well, and for the Europeans to pull their weight. Now, in my view, very misguidedly, the United States has been persuaded in the last few years that um, the European Union is the answer to this uh, particular quandary. Uh, Frankly, I don't think it is. I think it, it will work in the opposite direction. And and far from creating stronger allies for the United States, um, it will not it will um, create a, a weaker weaker allies and also an organisation which, by definition, will not necessarily be a partner of the United States, but will seek to be more of a competitor or rival, if you like. So I I think the United States, in security terms should be investing more in NATO and encouraging um, European allies to get behind NATO. On Cameron's proposal to make migrants from Europe wait four years for welfare benefits, which would require formal EU approval, is that mostly a matter of controlling British government expense or really a more powerful disincentive to migration itself and all the other problems now associated with it, crime, social division, terrorism? Um, I I think very much the latter. Uh, I don't think it's a question of money. It's a question of um, trying to find ways of getting a grip with our migration problem. I mean, after all, the United States is a country of immigrants, uh, but you've always controlled who would have access to the United States. 
and, and when you haven't controlled it, it creates problems. And I think of the difficulties and arguments that go on about your Mexican borders. Um, so basically, the United States has controlled who comes to their country. We are not able to do that as far as the European Union is concerned. Um, theoretically, if you are a citizen of any one of the 28 uh, European countries, you can go and live in any, any of the others. And so, you know, enormous numbers of people come to Britain, and we can't decide whether these are people we want or we don't want. By the way, of course, e even more people come to Britain from other parts of the world, um, not least from Pakistan and Bangladesh and from Afghanistan and Iraq and these sorts of countries. Uh, even more come to Britain from those countries than come from um, the European countries. So even if we were to leave the European Union tomorrow, in my view, we would still have an immigration problem, which we haven't really found ways of getting to grips with. But by sorting out this European aspect, um, we, would, um, we would get over one part of the problem, or it would help get over one part of the problem. But I don't think this is the be-all and end-all of uh, what we should be asking for from the European Union. I mean, many people think that we're not being ambitious enough in what we're asking for, um, and that the Europeans are so keen to have Britain as a member of the EU uh, that we're pushing at an open door. And we really ought to up the stakes on this because this is a once-in-a-generation opportunity uh, to sort out our relationship, which at the moment is a very unhappy one. What are some of the other reforms that you'd like to see on the table? Well, I, th I think there are many. Um, the costs of the European Union, for example, um, that's one thing. We think it costs us far too much money. We're the second largest net contributor, and in net terms, it costs us about um, the equivalent of about 15 or $16 billion a year in terms of our contributions. So a lot of people think that's far too high. Um, the, the whole idea of an EU defense policy, something separate from NATO, many of us find that very unhelpful and we're very uncomfortable with it and we want to stop it. So that's something else. Um, diplomatic representation. The EU is expanding its network of so-called EU embassies around the world. There are 123 of them. Inevitably, <clears throat> inevitably they compete with national embassies, and they confuse the host countries, quite frankly. And I think that's got to be cut back as well. Um, employment laws. I mean, at the moment, we don't set our own employment laws. And this is a key element in our competitiveness and our economic well-being. Um, many would say control of our fisheries. Uh, we don't have full control over our coastal waters and who fishes in our fishing grounds. Um, there are many areas which should be sorted out, and we're not asking for anything in a lot of those areas. So I would say the, what David Cameron is asking for at the moment uh, is good things he's asking for, but they're an easy, they're an easy ask. And but the Europeans... Will... 
the Europeans should have no problem in agreeing what he's asking for. The real question then is, will this be enough to satisfy the British people? And I wonder. But you also say there are some good reasons the UK should stay in the EU, even without all the reforms it might want. One is simply to maintain a key say on EU policy. Talk about that. Yes, I am one of those people. I mean, I've not yet made up my mind which way I'm going to vote. Um, I'm one of the uncommitted at this moment. I can see good reasons why we shouldn't just rush for the exit door. One of those reasons um, is because the EU would still be there even if we left. And they'd be 20 miles across the English Channel. There would be this uh, big block of continental countries over which we would have no say and no control. And I'm not sure that that would be helpful. We wouldn't be able to stop them doing bad things to us, affecting our, uh, some key national interests. So that's one concern I'd have. Another would be investor confidence. Um, Britain is the biggest magnet to international investment out of all the European countries. Um, I think some of them might be put off if they thought we no longer had unfettered access to the European uh, single market. Um, so that might put off some investors. The other reason, the third reason that I would give would be the attitude of the United States. And quite honestly, if we look back to the 19, late 1950s, early 1960s, we had concerns then that if this continental thing, this, uh, this growing European community was a success, that uh, the United States would switch its affections from the United Kingdom and want to treat the Europeans more as their major ally. And I think that concern is still there on our part. And I think from the American point of view, you'd have concerns if Britain wasn't sitting um, in the conference rooms in Brussels there. Uh, able to uh, steer things in the in the right sort of way from time to time. I think America would be discomforted uh, if we weren't there. On the World Policy website, a Labour member of the British Parliament, Graham Allen, also was warned that the UK leaving the EU might well reignite the movement for Scotland to leave the UK. What's your view on that? Well, um, Unfortunately, this um, Scottish National Party is a very left-wing socialist party. And socialists like the European Union these days because they can get all sorts of socialist laws passed through the back door of Brussels when we might try and resist these things nationally. So the socialists like uh, this European Union thing, and the SNP falls into that uh, sort of bracket. Um, yes, it is true. Uh, if, if Britain were to vote to leave the European Union, I think it would uh, stir up once more, the, or, or rather the SNP would use it uh, as a, a device to stir up once more a call for another referendum. But how that referendum might go, uh, of course, remains to be seen. The PM himself argued that, quote, in an age of insecurity and danger and terrorism, Britain brings a lot to the European Union. What do you see the EU losing most if Britain were to pull out? Factors that might help make other member nations more receptive to 
a significant compromise with Cameron's proposals? Well, I, I'm biased, of course, but I would say that the European Union would lose uh, its most sensible, uh, outward-looking, pragmatic, free-trading member. It would use, lose the second-largest economy in the European Union. It would lose uh, the country with the most global reach and influence in the European Union. It would lose the country with the most powerful defense forces in the European Union. So, um, I, you know, not surprisingly, possibly with one or two exceptions, the European countries want us to remain, which I, I come back to my point, which is why I think we're pushing it an open door, and we should really be more ambitious in our demands. So what is your best guess at this point on how Cameron's campaign will succeed with the EU and eventually with uh, ultimately with British voters? Well, the British people will vote on our membership of the European Union before the end of 2017. That's guaranteed. We don't know when exactly the vote will take place, but it will be before the end of 2017. Well, you know, at this moment... If I was a betting man, I'd probably say um, I'd say that there will probably be a small majority in favour of staying. Um, the British people are sort of quite conservative with a small C. Um, they don't like unnecessary change. They've lived with this EU thing for most of their lives. Um, if the Prime Minister comes back from Brussels and says, I've got a good deal, I recommend we stay, I think a lot of people would be inclined to follow his lead. Uh, and I think also the, the, um, those that desperately want to stay in at all costs will try and create fear among the British population about the consequences of, of leaving. You know, so it's the old business of better the devil you know. So I think probably um, there would be a small majority in favour of staying. But that, who knows what will take place over the next year or so. There could be another catastrophe. Um, there could be another disaster. Um, we, could get a, we could get the door slammed in our face very foolishly by some Europeans. Um, there are many factors that could affect these things. But that's, uh, that would be my feeling at the moment. Jeffrey Van Orden, thank you. It's a great pleasure talking to you. Jeffrey Van Norden, MBE, is a former British Army intelligence officer, now representing the East of England in the European Parliament. His recent post on the World Policy blog is headlined, What's Gone Wrong with the EU? Featured in the new WPJ Winter Issue, you'll find articles on Latin America's evolving economics and culture, the changing face of Cuba, black sites on the Internet, and deadly interactions on the Syria-Turkey border. And listen next week when our podcast will focus on Vladimir Putin's strategies for playing to his own people and the wider world as Russia loses an airliner to the Islamic State and a fighter jet to Turkey. World Policy on Air is a production of World Policy Journal at the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. Editor Christopher Shea, managing editor Jaffa Frederick, online news editor and podcast producer Matthew DeMello. I'm David Alpern. <laughs>